Today's scripture is 1 Corinthians 6, verses 12 to 20, which you can find in the blue pew bibles, blue, blue pew bibles at the end of your aisles. They look like this, if you're looking. Um, verses 12 to 20, chapter 6. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord, and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one, with, one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. This is the word of God. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, we praise you for this day. We praise you for the beauty of it. Father, we praise you for the break and the heat that allows us to meet in here comfortably. Father, I praise you for the way that you have gifted this congregation with each person necessary so that we might join our voices together and praise your name. Father, we praise you, as has already been prayed today, that we stand in your presence on your promises. Uh, we praise you that you are a God who delights in making yourself known, that you are a God who is slow to anger and quick to forgive, that you are a God, as we read in the confession, Lord Jesus, as you said with your own voice, who desires mercy and not sacrifice. Father, we praise you um, that you reveal yourself in such ways. And we confess to you it's hard for us to believe. And Father, I join my voice with Catherine's and I thank you for listening to the faith proclaimed by the children of this church and for how encouraging it is for them to recite and to speak your promises and your name, the truths of your character, and the knowledge they have of your love. Father, I thank you for the way that you use generation upon generation to remind us of truth. Father, we pray this week that you would be with the children as they gather in this place for Vacation Bible School. Father, I thank you for Mari and for her team who have so diligently prepared for this next week. Father, I ask that you would bless the works of their hands and that you would draw the children and their teachers to you 
And that as you reveal to them the glory of Christ, that from the youngest to the oldest, they would see and experience themselves changed in your presence. Father, we long to hear from you. Father, we have begged that you would be with members of the church. And today, we celebrate signs that you have been faithful, that you have continued to make yourself known, that you have brought healing. Father, that you have sustained faith. Father, you know that we fear death. You know that we fear um, loss. You know that we fear suffering. But we praise you that, Lord Jesus, we celebrate in the gospel that you have set us free from fear. And so we ask you, even as we listen to your word to us today, would you show us where we are fearful, women and men created in your image, where we are fearful, and would we be quick to repent, and would we watch as you change our hearts? Father, we pray that you would give us a boldness to love one another, we pray that you would make Christ the King Church Newton a light to our communities. We pray especially as we have been considering human sexuality that you would make your name great in our midst and that Christ the King Church Newton and the other bodies of your church, Jesus, would live a different story so that the women and the men of our communities might believe that you are good and that you are merciful and that you are quick to forgive and that you are a God who redeems everything. Lord Jesus, I pray that even as we look at your word and as you speak to us, as we just sang, would you please um, draw us to worship and would we drop our heads, would we praise your name would we understand why you have called us before you now? And would you prepare us to receive the supper in faith? Father, we thank you that you are the one who is at work here. From your word uh, to the preaching and to the recipients of your word. Father, you are the one who is at work. And we pray for your faithfulness. Would you do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine? And it's in Christ's name we pray all these things. Amen. Well, we come to the end of this sixth chapter of the book of 1 Corinthians. Again, let me alert you to where it is. It's on page 955 of those Blue Pew Bibles. And it would be worth you paying attention to it. It would be worth turning to it and looking at it even as we listen uh, to what it's about. We covered the first half of it last week when we talked about this idea that Paul unfolds for the Corinthians and we asked the question, is it fair for him to unfold it of us as well, that the Corinthians' orientation towards sex was one of consumption rather than one of gift. Even as Catherine was praying about the ways in which we consume in our world, it was very clear last week that the Apostle Paul made it clear that the consumption of, of what the Corinthians felt like was theirs and they were going to get what was theirs is what marked their view of sex. But it's also wondering, it, does it mark our view as well? Do we also use languages of consumption in, in our languages of preference and our language of desire, right? Well, the Apostle Paul isn't finished. Um, we have seen since chapter 3 that the Apostle Paul um, is pouring on the rhetorical speech for the Corinthians. 
And here he does it um, with all the energy that he can. He uses this phrase over and over in chapter 6, do you not know? In the entire book of Corinthians, he uses it nine different times, more than in any other book that he has written in the New Testament. And in this chapter alone, he uses it six times. That doesn't alone point to his intensity, but it gives us a picture of the importance that the Apostle Paul puts on this concept and on this theme of sexual immorality. Just as the Corinthians need to think more logically about it, I believe that we need to think more logically about it too. I grew up as a high schooler, as you should know. We were asking the questions, how far is too far? We have progressed in our culture where we look at one another and we say of one's sexual practices, they're not of my concern, that's your business, it's a private thing. But I think that we need to be a little bit more circumspect of the way in which we think about sexual immorality. I've been studying this all week long, and I just realized we are steeped in it. We were preparing dinner last night, and we turn on the boom box, that little tower, not the big one that we had in the 80s. You know what I'm talking about, right? And we, we turn it on, and all of a sudden, this catchy country music song comes on, and I start singing, and Mita's singing into it, and Camilo and Maria are figuring out the words to it, and all of a sudden, I realized, oh my goodness, this has complete to do with sexual immorality. Like, we're singing, and it's just part and parcel with the way that we view our lives. The Apostle Paul has two things for us in these few verses that are before us, just two. In verses 12 through 14, he is going to unfold, he is going to reveal, he's gonna pull back the curtain on the logic that leads to sexual immorality by Christians. Not by the world, but by Christians, all right? That's what the Apostle Paul is doing. He is pulling back the curtain for the Corinthians, and he's showing them, look, this is the logic that leads to sexual immorality among Christians, all right? And then in verses 15 and following, the Apostle Paul is going to demonstrate in light of the resurrection what a biblical theology of the human body is and how it sets us free. This is a very exciting text. I hope it's one that you are drawn into. The Apostle Paul speaks to the Corinthians and he says, look, you say you're wise and you don't even know this. And the reason he's so intent upon them knowing it and us knowing it is because he believes that a truth that is central to the gospel and that's union with Christ is at stake both for themselves and for the watching world. Do you remember last week how one of the things the Apostle Paul was talking about is he's saying, look, you're taking each other to the courts. You're gonna say, I'm gonna get what's mine, and you're doing it in front of non-believers. The church is the place that God has created in this earth for another way of living. And the Apostle Paul believes that this is so important that we ought to think about it. So the first thing that I want you to see is the logic that leads to sexual immorality among Christians, all right? And the Apostle Paul does it by using two of their catchphrases that they use all the time. Look in verse 12, you'll see the first one. The first one that they say in verse 12 is this, all things are lawful for me, right? 
Maybe a better way of us understanding that is that I can do anything that I want. I can do anything that I want. Now, where does an idea about that form, a wrong understanding of Christian freedom come from? Well, it actually probably has some reasonable thoughts that are around it. The Christians who were in Corinth had received the Spirit. The Apostle Paul made it clear in chapter 1. He remembers when they received the Spirit, and with the Spirit they received all the gifts that they needed. The Spirit is the guarantee that we have been set free from sin, right? That's what we've been set free from. And the Spirit is the guarantee, the deposit, the down payment for that, the Apostle Paul says in another place. And the Apostle Paul surely taught them, just as he taught in other places, look, you are set free from the rules and the regulations of the civil law that marked the nation of Israel and of the ceremonial laws. Don't taste, don't touch, don't observe. You're set free from those things, right? And so the Corinthians have taken those ideas, they've combined them with the Greek culture that they are in, this idea that the body and the soul are separate and that the body occupies, a, or the soul occupies a higher space in reality than the body, the body's a lower space, the body doesn't matter, this idea of dualism. And the Corinthians have said, look, we're free to do anything that we want. And so the Apostle Paul uses their language back at them. He says that you have said, I can do anything I want. But the Apostle Paul says, but not everything you want is beneficial. Now the wet word for you and me could mean beneficial for me, but not here. It means beneficial for others. The Apostle Paul is challenging their thought about what they're free to in light of what is beneficial for others, right? And you see that logic in the Apostle Paul in other places where he talks about abstaining from something for the sake of someone else in the community, right? And then they say, but, but I can do anything that I want. And the Apostle Paul says, but not to the end that you're mastered by something, right? In verse 12, he said, but I will not be dominated by anything. The Corinthians have a wrong view of Christian freedom. The Corinthians have come to believe that Christian freedom means that they are free from things, that they're free from these laws, they're free from these stipulations, they're free from requirements, they're free from limitations, right? And they never consider what they are freed to. Freed to. The Apostle Paul is going to talk about that freedom in just a minute. But the Apostle Paul wants to point out that the Corinthians think that they are freed from. And the Apostle Paul wants them to stop and think that if you're only freed from something, you are going to become mastered by every desire and whim that you have. But the Apostle Paul has the question for the Corinthians, and he's going to address it in the second half. What are you freed to? What are you freed now to do because the gospel is true? Let me ask that question of you and of me. Do you most often think of the implications of salvation, that you're free from something or freed to something? Because one of the threads 
of the allowance of sexual immorality in the church and in the life of the Christian is to believe that we're just freed from things in the gospel instead of freed to something. But that's not all that the Apostle Paul talks about. In verse 13, in verse 12, he said that they had a wrong understanding of Christian freedom. But in verse 13, he points out that they have a wrong understanding of sexual desire. Now look, I need you to look at verse 13 with me really quickly, okay? And those of you who have the NIV version of the Bible, you're going to see that there is a big difference in the way that this thing is written. And so I want you to read it with me. Read what it says right here in verse 13. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. Now in the Bibles that you have in the pews, the quotations end there, right? But the NIV and more recent scholarship really believes that what Apostle Paul is saying is the entirety of that first phrase, that this is the quote from the Corinthians. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food and God will destroy both one and the other. End of quote. Here's their idea. This is what they are saying. They have a wrong understanding of sex as mere desire. They are simply saying this, as people of their culture and people of their age, look, the stomach is meant for food and food is meant for the stomach. Now look, the body's gonna be destroyed. Both food and the stomach are about the physical life, but the spiritual reality is higher. Both the body and food are gonna be destroyed. And what they are saying is they're saying in the same way that food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, then the body, which is gonna be destroyed anyway, is meant for sex and sex is meant for the body. Sex is just mere desire. But the Apostle Paul is pointing out to the Corinthians, listen, you've got a wrong understanding of sex. The Corinthians believe that sex is all about desire. Again, I couldn't help but hear the country music that I listen to, right? And, and usually I want to bash against a lot of other types of music, but country music betrays me left, right, and center with this topic. One of the favorite songs that you all go and listen to his music all the time says, I believe you love who you love. Ain't nothing that you should ever be ashamed of. You're just driven by your desire. Why would you be ashamed of that? But the Apostle Paul answers that idea with the second half of verse 13. He says the body is not meant for sexual immorality. He understands what they're saying in that phrase. They're saying, look, the body is made for sex and sex is for the body. And he goes, no, 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 you're missing it. The body is not made for sexual immorality, but, the, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. What the Apostle Paul is doing is saying, you need to understand that your body is made for the Lord and the Lord is for your body. That's the comparison that he wants us to work with. This is a false comparison when we think that our bodies are made for our desires. Our bodies have a purpose, and he's going to show us what that purpose is in just a minute. And then finally, in this section, as he unfolds for us the logic that has led these Corinthian Christians to sexual immorality, he brings up what they ultimately deny, and that's the resurrection. Look at verse 14. And God raised the Lord, speaking of Jesus, right? He raised him, 
and will also raise us up by his power. What is the Apostle Paul doing to clarify the value of the human body that the Corinthians think is less valuable for the, than the soul and is just going to be destroyed? He points to the gospel that God saves sinners by Jesus' death on the cross and that death is proved to be our salvation by Jesus' resurrection from the dead. Death is defeated, cannot hold Jesus in the grave. We've been set free from death and from sin. And with the Lord, we too will be raised. The Apostle Paul is saying, I want you to think about your bodies, not about what you desire, but in terms of the resurrection. Christ has been raised and he will raise us up as well. For the Apostle Paul, the lens of the gospel is what he sees everything through. And when Christians do not use the lens of the gospel to look and understand sex, we too are tempted like the Corinthians into sexual immorality. But praise God, the Apostle Paul doesn't stop there. He wants us to see the import of what it means that in the gospel, we have been united in Christ, not just in his death, which is true. That's the sign of baptism, right? That we're united to Christ in his death, but we are also united to Christ in his resurrection. We ought to think more clearly about this. We need to question this in and of ourselves. We need to encourage, even as we've prayed and given thanks for our children and for their proclamation of faith, how do we raise them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord? But to say that even your bodies are to be used for God. They belong to him. This is the Apostle Paul in verses 15 and following. The last thing I want to show you the theology of the human body in light of resurrection. And the Apostle Paul says, this is what will set you free from sexual immorality. I never heard this as a kid. Teenagers, I want to encourage you to listen. If you will take this in, if you will allow this to move you and me to repentance, we'll be changed. This will help us tremendously. There are three things that he does in this theology of the human body in light of the resurrection. One of the commentators that I studied this week said that this might be the number one place in all of the New Testament if you want theology on the human body. Remember, I told you before that the Apostle Paul asks six times in this sixth chapter, don't you even know this? Remember, he's being provocative. He's really stirring the pot with the Corinthians. They have said to him, you know, you're not very wise. You're not a very good speaker. Uh, you don't really work with the times, Paul. We, we're not really impressed with you. And when the Apostle Paul goes, wait a minute, you're so wise that you don't even understand this he is picking a theological fight with them. Let's look at what he does. And I want to ask you, which of these stands out to you in your theology of your body? This thing that's right here in front of you and in front of me, right? 
How do you think about it? Verse 15 is the first of the don't you even knows. And there are only three of them, so don't worry. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the member of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? And when he says never, he says by no means. And he means absolutely not. Don't do that. He said, look, as a Christian who has been united with Christ, our bodies are members with Christ. That's the first thing he says. He says, listen, in the gospel, you remember the gospel where God saves sinners by putting our sin on the person of Jesus Christ and him being crucified on the cross, paying the price for our sins. It is just and right for God to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's just and right because we are united with Christ. We are members with Christ. You guys know that one of my favorite verses in the Bible is Galatians 2.20. I read it to you all the time. I tell it to you all the time. Listen to the importance of it here. The Apostle Paul writes this to the Galatians. For I have been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life that I live in this flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The Apostle Paul says of the Corinthians, you need to think about sexual immorality differently by thinking about your bodies differently. That you, because of what Jesus has done, you and your body are a member of Christ. Do you know what he tells the Colossian Christians? He actually says that because Jesus is seated in the heavens, in a very real way, we are seated there with him even now. Do you know what that means? That means there is a human body, flesh and blood, with a beating heart in heaven right now. That's an amazing reality. And the Apostle Paul is saying, I want you to take that in. He says, look, if you're joined with Christ, you can't also join a member of Christ with a member of a prostitute. You can't be in union with Christ and in union with a prostitute. May it never be. And you see in verses 16 and 17, he tells us the next don't you know. And he's just following this chain of logic, right? If you're union with Christ, listen to what he says in verse 16. Or do you not know? Again, he says the second of the three in verse 16. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. The Apostle Paul is saying this, that where sex has emphasis on bodily union, it has spiritual implications. And the resurrection has emphasis on spiritual union with Christ, verse 17. But it too has bodily implications. He's saying, think about this. When you are joined with someone in sexual union, you become one with them. Right? Is what he's saying. When the man is joined with a prostitute, they become one. We want to deny this. But we also know that we can't. 
One of my dear friends with whom I spend a lot of time has just broken up with the woman that he's been with for the last four years. And they had lived together and they had spent their whole lives together and they had experienced everything together. They had been sleeping together for a long time. And as we were talking and spending time together, he said, you know something, I don't know what it is, but I feel ripped apart inside. And this kind of text allows you to go, I know exactly what that is. That is because you have been joined to someone else and now you have been ripped apart. This emphasis in sex on bodily union has implications spiritually. And the Apostle Paul says, look, from Genesis chapter 2, those who have been joined together become one. They become one. And the Apostle Paul is able to say, look, You can't be one with a prostitute and one with Christ. The resurrection, our being joined to Christ, he says, has emphasis on that spiritual union, but it has the bodily implications of how we use our body now. You see, the Apostle Paul is able to call this sexual immorality. And here's the freeing part about calling sexual immorality sin. Remember, we've defined sexual immorality for the last three weeks. This is the third of three weeks, and we've defined it this way. Sexual immorality is any practice of sex or aberration of such outside of the bond of marriage between a man and a woman. That's what sexual immorality means, porneia. That's what it means. And the Word of God is clear, and we have to come to grips with it. But here's the glory of calling sexual immorality sin. Nathan reminds us of this every time we talk about sin. You guys, if we can call something sin, guess what it qualifies for? Redemption. It qualifies for forgiveness. It qualifies for healing. It qualifies for newness. It qualifies for Jesus' blood washing it away. It qualifies for new hope. It qualifies to being restored and being made new again. That's the hope here. And the Apostle Paul ends in verses 18 through 20 with the last, do you not know? Now look at it with me again, because he doesn't start it off with do you not know yet. He starts it off in another way. He says in verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. And then he says in verse 19, or do you not know? Are you so wise that you understand wisdom and yet you do not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. The Apostle Paul says the last thing that he wants us to know is he wants us to know what our body is and who our bodies belong to. We need to think about this because I guarantee that outside of this context of this scripture passage, the vast majority, maybe even of us, but certainly of those in our culture would say, my body belongs to me. My body, my right, right? 
We've heard it on arguments on the left and the right. My body, my right. But the Apostle Paul says, no, 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 no. Do you not even know that your body is the temple of the living God and that it belongs to God? He says that we ought to flee sexual immorality. He says that sexual immorality has a unique feature. And it's hard to understand the language that he uses. He uses that in verse 18 that he says every other sin is committed outside of the body. But the, sexual, the sin of sexual immorality is committed against your own body. And then he qualifies that statement by saying, or do you not know that you are the temple of the living God, right? And so in some way, he is not saying that there aren't sins that we can commit that don't affect our body, right? We think of the ultimate of being a suicide, right? That, that would affect your body. But what he is saying is he's saying there is a uniqueness with the activity of sex and union that affects your body in its very core. And that's why the Apostle Paul is saying flee from sexual immorality. Listen, the Apostle Paul is not talking to the world. The Apostle Paul is talking to Christians. In chapter one of this, of this book, he said, look, I saw God give you the Holy Spirit at your conversion. It's proof and it's down payment that by the blood of Jesus, you were bought with a price. The price that you were bought with, as Peter says in another place, is not silver and gold but that we have been bought with the blood of Christ, the precious blood of Christ. That language of having been bought is language of slavery. The Apostle Paul explains later on, you, you are a slave to sin and a slave to death. Apart from Christ, we're slaves to sexual immorality because we don't understand what is even intended for, right? We are mastered by our own desire and our own freedom from things. But the Apostle Paul says, because of the gospel, by the blood of Jesus, you have been bought and you have been set free to something. You've been set free to bear God's image. We have been set free as Christians, not from something, but to something. And that to something is that in our bodies, we would bear the image of God. That's why God cares about our bodies. The resurrection is proof that he cares about our bodies. This is an amazing reality. What does it mean to glorify God with our bodies? It's the purpose for which we've been given our bodies. Listen, it means that in our bodies, in the way we treat each other, even in our freedoms, we ought to be thinking about what am I doing and is it beneficial for the other to know and understand the person and the work of Jesus Christ. No one ever challenged my view of sex as being of that valuable. But church, the Apostle Paul is more worked up in this chapter of 1 Corinthians 6 than anywhere else in his writings in the Bible. Because this understanding of the human body being united to Christ, 
is so important for you and me. Let me ask you a question. Do you play with sexual immorality? Is it not that big of a deal? It's something that you and I look at a little bit. It's something that we tease out a little bit. It's, it's the flirtation with which we use our bodies. It's, it's just that little something. It's not that big of a deal. The Apostle Paul here is saying it is a huge deal because your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Corinthians lived in a city that was filled with temples, Aphrodite, and many others. And the Apostle Paul is saying your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit and you belong to him. Your body belongs to him to glorify God with your body. My brother lives in Atlanta, and when Mita and I went to see our grandson last week, we stayed with my brother in Atlanta. My brother was talking about uh, sports memorabilia. It was really kind of crazy. And I don't know how we got caught in the conversation. He goes, wait a minute, I got something I got to show you. And he runs inside, and he comes back outside with this massive Kobe Bryant jersey. Now, I don't know if you've been around many NBA players, um, but these are big guys. And this jersey must have been like six feet long. And I was like, there is no way Kobe Bryant, you know, jersey is that big. And of course, it's signed Kobe Bryant to my friend or whatever. And, and, and I was like, put that thing on. I want to see what Kobe Bryant looks like. And my brother put that thing on. My brother's a big dude, but it was still big on him. And I was like, Wow, Kobe Bryant is huge. I can't believe that. And you read that thing and you're like, Kobe Bryant did not sign that to you. He's like, yeah, I don't know Kobe Bryant. I just won it in this auction. He goes, I wonder how much it's worth now because Kobe Bryant paraphernalia is going, you know, sky high. You guys, you bear the image of the eternal God. You didn't purchase it in an auction. You didn't get it haphazardly. He didn't make you with brown hair and brown eyes accidentally. He made you and me in our bodily forms the way we are to bear his image and his signature on you is that he loves you and that he's delighted in you and you matter body and soul. The Apostle Paul says what what will set Christians free from the false logic of sexual immorality is a theology of the human body that is born out through the gospel. Brothers and sisters of Christ, we are members of his body. Therefore, Let us glorify him in ours. Please pray with me.